people come together and they connect when things start to unravel. You know, it's really easy to cheer on a champion. You really find out who's there for you, the ones that will be there cheering when you're failing, you know? And I feel like that was something that I wanted to be that person that I will cheer for you and I will lift you up and I will help you up and I will stand with you no matter the result, no matter the race, whether you ever decide to run again. And it, that kind of, you know, your vibe creates, it meets your tribe. Those are the kind of people that I got surrounded by and really have stood by me the whole journey. Welcome to For the Long Run. We explore the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated, and how they've been able to achieve sustainable excellence. From Olympians to ultramarathoners and business owners, from the back of the pack and all the way to the front, we believe in creating community and expanding the running world for all. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt, and we're so glad you're here. As a New Englander, I'm always excited to see brands from the area who are doing good in the world and doing good for our running community. That's why we're thrilled to say that this episode is sponsored by Darn Tough, started, manufactured, and headquartered in Vermont. And they're still family-owned, bringing us awesome socks to keep our feet feeling warm and dry. You may know of Darn Tough for their durability and warmth, but did you know that they have a whole line of running socks to keep you staying dry and comfortable for the long run? Darn Tough's running socks are incredibly durable, especially in high wear areas, and they're made with a breathable mesh and are ultra lightweight and incredibly comfortable. You might be thinking, aren't their socks made of wool? Won't that be too hot on my feet? Well, it turns out that Merino wool socks are actually perfect for keeping your feet at the ideal temperature and dry, regardless if you're running in cold or hot weather. In fancy words, wool helps with thermoregulation. I've been a fan of and running in darn tough socks for years now, and we're stoked to work with them to bring great gear to you too. So head on over to darntough.com or find them in your favorite retail shop. Remember, the runners in your life need great socks this holiday season. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by the good people over at Microcosm Coaching, our good friends, TJ and Zoe. It's that time of year again, time to jumpstart your 2024 running goals. We love partnering with Microcosm because they truly align on our beliefs for this show. They support their clients through breakthroughs, setbacks, and plateaus, and are in it for the long run. Whether you're running your first 5K or your 10th 100 miler, the coaches at Microcosm have a personalized training plan designed to fit your life and your goals. Not only will you have a strong relationship with your coach, but you'll also be a part of a community of other people like yourself to help encourage you and strengthen your commitment and support accountability. We love their approach to coaching because it accounts for the whole human experience, the impact of mental health and performance, life changes, work life, family life, and overarching goals. If you're ready to get after it in 2024, you can learn more at microcosm-coaching.com and let them know we sent you. This episode is sponsored by the Race and Grayson Training Log and Planner, now on its sixth edition. We love this planning and goal setting tool from our friend Grayson Murphy. This training log is the perfect gift for you or the favorite runners in your life. It is specifically designed with dedicated daily spaces for tracking both training and life events. When Grayson reached out to us to promote this training log on the show, we said yes immediately because one, if anyone knows how to set goals and achieve them, she does. And two, because this training log also helps you prioritize your mental health and monthly journal prompts, allowing you to be your whole self in your training and beyond. So if you're looking for the perfect tool to stay organized and inspired for your athletic and non-athletic dreams, go on over to racin-grayson.com and shop the training log. That's R-A-C-I-N-Grayson.com. And thank you to Grayson for supporting the podcast and our running community at large. 
Hey, it's me, Jonathan. Before we dive into the show this week, could you do us a small favor? Go to whatever podcast app you use and hit that follow or subscribe button. This ensures you never miss an episode and it helps us because you'll never miss an episode. These small actions help us out so much and thanks for being here. Now let's get into it. And welcome back. We are here with Lucy Bartholomew in Boulder, Colorado. Uh, Lucy, thanks so much for taking some time to chat. Wow. Thank you for opening up your house for the last couple of weeks. I feel like uh, we've had a lot of these conversations. Now we get to record it. (laughs) There have been a lot of questions that I've wanted to ask and like go in further depth. And I've been like, I'm going to hold off on a few of these because I knew we were going to be doing this recording. So Lucy's been here uh, watching Alfie or Alfington, as you've as you've grown <laughs> to call him, and uh, you've got a race coming up in a couple of weeks. This podcast will be coming out hopefully around the time you're getting back at it ahead of Black can you Canyon. Say it? All right, Black well, we Canyon. can release it. We can. <laughs> this can be the the first announcement. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, as you've heard from listening to Bailey's episode and others, I think you know what questions coming. Who Who is is Lucy Bartholomew? Who is Lucy Bartholomew? (laughs) You know, I listened to Bailey's episode on my run this morning and I was like, how am I going to answer this? Um, And I thought she did it really beautifully saying, you know, it's obviously multifaceted. And, you know, I would say very similar. You know, I, Lucy Bartholomew is always evolving, growing, learning, failing, and retrying. Um, so, you know, I'm imperfect, imperfect in the same sentence. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm a passionate cook. I love trail running. I love running. I love the outdoors, passionate about the environment, really love community and really focused on longevity in everything that I do. And you're a very wise 27 year old. At the same time. (laughs) I think I said to you the other night, I'm like a duck. You know, you meet me and you probably think I'm wise, but underneath (laughs) the legs are turning real fast. Well, we were talking about this yesterday, right? How, How everyone seems like, or a lot of people seem like they've got their shit together, but the reality is nobody does. And anyone who claims to is selling lies. Or not lies, but like, there's a lot more to it. And we talked about social media and how we tend to highlight the the good stuff. And um, I made a comment to you yesterday and I said something along the lines of like, you've just got it figured out. Like you you know exactly what you're doing. And, and your response was something along the lines of like, I'm really good at certain things. So given this is a running podcast, but we use running as a way to explore other aspects of life. Talk to me about the the introduction of running for Lucy and how that's evolved from childhood. Let's start there. Yeah, totally. I mean, running for me was, you know, I didn't go through, especially like the American system where you hear a lot of trail runners um, that came from track and cross country and college. Um, for me, you know, I did a lot of running in school, mainly just to join every sport team to get out of school. Um, It was kind of my, I was on every team that was possible. Um, And then 
I, you know, I enjoyed it. I didn't, I wasn't great at it because the distances are so much shorter. So I was just doing all the events, um, just back to back to back to back. And then my dad's always been a runner. I used to ride alongside him as he ran. And then as he got onto the trails and off the roads, uh, it was too hard for me the to bike. The biking got harder. <laughs> the biking got harder and I just decided to ditch the bike altogether. Um, and so I would run next to him and walk next to him. And I realized that I had a total misconception of what he went out and did on these weekend long runs. Because I was like, he just runs nonstop and it's really intense. And I was like, the dude stops for coffee sometimes. <laughs> He's back like and, my run yesterday. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's really just a moving picnic. And I was like, you know, I can eat well and I like to... Uh, to put one foot in front of the other, I think that the longer distances are for me. I went up and watched him complete his first 100 kilometers. And whilst I saw the elites and I saw the winners and I saw people like my dad, but it was really the back of the pack that I got the honor of seeing. And it was just people of all shapes and sizes that were just totally content with what they were doing. You know, they were doing what they wanted to do and they didn't care how long it was going to take. In fact, the longer, the better. Um, and I just saw, yeah, I remember seeing this group of women that were um, like holding a can of Coke and a piece of cake and trying to like balance a selfie. And I was like, <laughs> this is a sport. This is unreal. Like, get me out there, put me in coach, I'm ready. <laughs> um, and so that's what I kind of then was like, how do I get into this? And how can I be that person out there? I've loved seeing the dynamic with you and your your dad from afar. Um, I got to witness it in perhaps the saddest experience of Western States this year from about 10 feet away at the finish line. But I've, as someone who, like my dad is my role model when it comes to athletics and a lot of other things as well. And we've talked about relationships with parents and at least from the athletic side, it looks like a very similar relationship as to the one that I have with my dad and he got into it from cycling and then became a trail runner in the last five years, which has been super cool. Normally it's the other way around. But I, I've loved watching you and him interact related to running. Um, at what point did the the script kind of flip where he was like, hey, Lucy, I think you're pretty good at this. I don't think he'll ever tell me that. <laughs> My dad is my, you know, he brings me back down to earth. Nice. I'm a very humbling man. <laughs> um, you know, we ran my first 100 kilometers together. He was 50, I was 15. And Whoa. yeah, what we overcame together for me to be able to stand on that start line, you know, there was a lot of controversy around it. When I signed up, the race director let me in. It was announced that we had this, you know, young girl running. And obviously people, when there's things that they can't conceive or it hasn't been done before, there's a lot of trepidation and curiosity and people put their experiences and opinions onto you. And so, you know, dad was called a bad dad. I was called to have an exercise addiction and that I was going to be stunted in growth and all this was going to happen. And so the bond we got very early on in my running career, because he backed me, he was like, you know what, Lucy... I remember him saying to me on the start line, you have to smile your whole way through this 100K, kind of as a middle finger to all those people, <laughs> but also because you need to show people outwardly that you're doing this because you love it and not, but you're not forced. You don't, if you look unhappy, they're going to pull you out. Um, and so we ran for 12 and a half hours along the coastline of Victoria and Australia and just had 
a beautiful experience. You know, I look back and we rode the highs and lows, which were never at the same time. So we were able to <laughs> help each other That's out. The That's the best. And then the next year I returned as a 16-year-old. They let me run without my dad. And I ran three and a half hours faster. And everyone was like, oh, okay, you know, the, there's a ball on a chain here. And <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe he's... Uh, you know, she's got potential and given her own leash, she can go really far. And I think that's when dad was like, you know, let the bird fly. So the bird's been flying. That <laughs> was almost 15 years ago. And the flight of that bird has been uh, all over the place. Like a bird since should. Since then, like a bird <laughs> should. Um, running has been fairly constant, but not entirely over that period. Talk to me about how that evolution has happened and how you've let your relationship with running ebb and flow as it's sort of needed to. Yeah, totally. You know, it's running started as something that I shared with my dad. It was really about our connection and community was a huge part. The ones that accepted me so young and became like, I had a million mums and dads, you know, all over Australia. And my even my schooling teachers and stuff, they really saw what running did for me. Um and then, you know, when your passion shifts to becoming profession, it's a really interesting dynamic shift. And I was very, didn't know anyone that had kind of gone through that process, especially at the age I was. And so it was just kind of like, you know, you get offered all these opportunities and you just don't want to say no because you're young and you're dumb and you think that you can do everything, but also you think that this is like fleeting. And so, you know, for sure, I look back and I'm like, gosh, Lucy, you overraced. You totally disrespected that 100Ks is not something you should just back up constantly. You've got to sit and absorb and recover. Um, and so, you know, I outran my love of running quite a few times, you know, and it's part and parcel of doing something you love so much and you're so passionate about and you want to do your best. But then having the expectation of brands and sponsors and trying to stay relevant and then you add in social media and it's just this stew of, yeah, just kind of expectations both inwards and outwards. And, you know, I really owe the COVID lockdown in Australia that lasted two and a half years that put a stop on racing, grounded me in Australia for the, that time and made me really think like, how much do you want this? Is it worth the price you're paying? You're young, you can pivot. Um, and, you know, ultimately I came out of it and was like, freaking love running. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of people listening probably had a similar experience with COVID, um, particularly in the first two years where races were taken away and a lot of people had to evaluate why they were doing it. My experience was, okay, now I'm just going to train. And I love training. And so you asked me the other day, like, oh, what are you going to do after uh, Crested Butte? Um, I was like, I just want to get back to being consistent and just like put in the work. Because um, I find I find that aspect of it so fun. Just like the building your day around it. You know what's coming, that kind of stuff. Um, how has your why evolved particularly like 2019 through today? And where does that motivation come from? When you talk about running, your eyes light up, you're, you're beaming kind of a thing. It's not been like that in, in recent years for sure. So walk us through that, that evolution of, you know, why you're, why you've been doing it. Yeah. And I think like it comes back to something that I talk a lot about on my social media. It's kind of the language we use around what we're doing. Like I, 
for a portion there. And 2019 is a great example. You know, 2018 had been this, to give context, had been this massive breakout year. I'd come third at Western States. Um, that obviously overnight I gained 50,000 followers on social media. Um, same thing on Strava. You know, I had a lot of people, but they were also following me and or joining the following of me at a time that I was pretty unhealthy and pretty unbalanced. So that was their version of me that they knew. And of course, when my body rebelled and I had to dig myself out of the hole I'd created, they saw changes and, you know, had every right to, to question and ask what was going on. I'd always been quite open, but probably never said that I, in, like, I know that I was being unhealthy. So 2019 was a year of kind of like acceptance for myself, gratitude for just getting back out there and finding some peace within my body and making it my home again. And then, you know, lockdown came and, you know, it's really easy to hide behind races and results and training and high volume training, especially. And I feel like this is a constant in ultra running is that the numbers dictate a person's value. And that's just so inaccurate. And so, you know, the rules in Australia during lockdown were that we were had an hour of exercise. We could go three miles from home. And so my training was seven hours a week. <laughs> running loops of no hills. I had no grand elevation. I don't live in beautiful mountains or alpine. I live in, you know, rural Australia in the sticks. A couple of kangaroos. It's probably the most interesting thing you'll see. Pretty interesting. Yeah, well, for an American. (laughs) (laughs) It's Um, like cows over here. Totally. Um, but you know, I had to sit with it with, if I'm not running these outrageous distances, who am I? And you know, in that time I, I wrote a cookbook, I came up with an FKT that I wanted to do. And I realized that I would be so content if for the rest of my life, I'd ran just an hour a day. Like I loved it. You can make an hour really hard and you can make an hour really restorative and really beautiful. Um, well, there's beauty in both. And it was kind of a, just such an important era and season of my career where I really realized that running is a part of me, but it, it's not all of me. And obviously, and I think a lot of people came out of this with COVID, is that community is so important. You know, that interaction, that looking people in the eye, that sharing, that smile on the trail, a high five at a race, a hug at a finish line, all those things are part of running without actually the physical act of putting one foot in front of the other. And so when I kind of COVID lockdown ended and I was able to get back out there, it was kind of like, how can I bring more people together? How can I create that community and that cohesiveness and that connection um, more and more in my life without the expectation and the constant needing to feel like I'm trying to validate myself or myself in the sport? So how how do you do that? Because you have a lot of really good friends that you live really, really far away from. Yeah, it's super challenging. And it's really that kind of time taught me about how to be a really good friend from really far away. You know, like that ability to communicate and to connect with people and to use social media and to be vulnerable and real, I think is so important because people come together and they connect when things start to unravel. You know, it's really easy to cheer on a champion. You really find out who's there for you, the ones that will be there cheering when you're failing, you know? And I feel like that was something that I wanted to be that person that I will cheer for you and I will lift you up and I will help you up and I will stand with you. 
no matter the result, no matter the race, whether you ever decide to run again. And it, that kind of, you know, your vibe creates, it meets your tribe. Those are the kind of people that I got surrounded by and really have stood by me the whole journey. Sahil Bloom is someone I respect a lot and love everything he puts out on social. And he posted something the other day that said, there are summer friends and there are winter friends. Summer friends are there for when the views are great, when the weather's perfect and things are awesome. And the winter friends are there for when things are cold and blustery and you need to bundle up to get out there. And um, I think it's a really strong distinction. Seems like you have a lot of both, but in particular, winter friends. I'm calling them global warming friends because <laughs> it's just erratic. <laughs> They're always there for all conditions. <laughs> yeah, uh, global warming friends. We're going to need more of those. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> uh, shout out to all the, the good stuff that people are doing to, to try and offset that. Um, global warming friends. Um, I want to push further on that, right? Because you spend a lot of the time in the year in Australia, what's the time difference from Colorado? 17 hours. 17 hours. So you have, let alone the the inability to see people frequently, there's just a very small window where you can talk to them when they're awake. And I know you spend a lot of time in the afternoons here talking to your dad. For someone who's listening and is like, I want to be better about staying connected with my friends or I need to... You know, I don't have a lot of close friends nearby and I hear that, you know, it's uh, cool to connect with people on social media. What do you say to those people who are who are looking to make those global warming friends? Yeah, I think what's really important is I used to share so much on social media. Like, you know, I would openly say probably too much. And to the point where my dad was like, I know exactly what you did that day. I know what you ate for breakfast, lunch, dinner. Uh, you ran, you did this. And I think what's been really important for like my friends and my family's relationship is that it doesn't all go there. And so they reach out because they're like, what, what's been happening? Like fill in the blanks. We we try to create this narrative on social media and we put up this story where it looks fantastic. Um, but I think kind of having that ability to open up a dialogue of what's really been going on is super important and to take that away from just messaging. Like a phone call, I know it's not the cool thing to do anymore, but like a FaceTime, a phone call is what grounds me um, with all my traveling. You know, in a 12-month span, I'm in Australia for three months, but I call that place home because those are the people that I will constantly connect with um, and it is where I feel, it's where my family is. But I can kind of always have those strings attached because the people there and myself, we make such an effort to stay very in touch very regularly. And they just know that the Instagram is not my life. <laughs> I sometimes struggle with that because like, it's the same thing. Like, you know what's for breakfast and, and you know how the run went. And sometimes I'm like, what's the point of that? Well, it's interesting because staying with you... I look through your story, right? And I'll be sitting in town and then I'll come back here. But I will still ask, how was your run? I know yeah. exactly what you did. I know that you stopped for paella and then you had a burger and then you saw Matt Daniels and then you stood this. I saw you at Scratch Cafe, but I still will ask. And I think that this is the thing. We don't just don't ask because you think you know the answer. Always ask, you know, how are you doing? How was your run? Because 
maybe it's a completely different story. Um, and how we connect the dots on Instagram and how we connect the stories is not generally the right answer. And so, you know, I will hear from someone how someone's doing and then I'll ask that person how they're doing because I'm like, that's cool. That's your perception of it. Yeah. But like, let me give them an opportunity and a space to either release something, to vent something, to describe something in their eyes. And I think that that's um, really important these days because we forget to do it. We just assume they look happy on Instagram. I'm sure they're fine. Why don't you ask them and see? Have you always had this level of, I don't know, connection is the word, but awareness both of self and others? No, I would say it was through losing myself and probably pushing away others that I realized just how lonely you can be and how important and how much you can thrive as a human and as an athlete and as everything if you have people to lean on and being okay to lean, I think is so important. I used to think I'm independent, I travel, I'm young, I've got financial stability, I've got sponsorships, I don't have a manager, it's me, myself and I, I'm handling contracts, like I got this. And it wasn't until I realized that I probably don't have this and also I can help others feel like they've got it too if we have this kind of back and forth. And so... You know, my favorite thing in the whole entire world is looking someone in the eye and having a conversation and sitting down and like hopefully opening that gate of like, if you have something you want to say, let me be that sounding board. Um, I'm not going to have an answer, but I've got ears that will listen. We've talked a lot about the the contract aspect of things. You're, again, wise beyond your years in establishing value and understanding what brands are looking for and also having some creative and out-of-the-box ideas. Some of these are like things that I've thought about that don't exist in the space or I didn't think they existed. And then you're like, yeah, I'm doing that. <laughs> <laughs> it's so fun because I feel like I've met someone who's like on the same wave. Everyone else thinks I'm crazy. <laughs> yeah, well, we both might be crazy. But um, where did that come from? Like, how how do you have that much confidence in that space and you're you're mentoring other people in and how to have these conversations and again like you've not had a lot of contracts right no no and i mean like you know i run for solomon i've been with solomon for 10 years so i haven't had to renegotiate or like well i've renegotiated but i haven't had to start a new relationship um and i guess it comes from just oh, i think it's just i i'm really good at seeing other people's value and i will sing people's praises and shout them from the rooftop. And, you know, there's a saying that's like, you know, you want to be friends with someone who'll mention someone's name in a room full of opportunity. And I want to be that person. And I'm lucky enough that I'm surrounded and I have a lot of connections in the sporting industry that I can provide that kind of connection. Advocating for myself is just something where I'm like, if you don't ask, you're not going to get. And what I'm seeing and watching the sport and I've been in the sport for what I call like the volunteer years where it was just like pat on the back, high five. Then I went through getting a free pair of shoes. Then it was kind of like, you know, more and more established, more money, making it a living. And I've just realized that this trajectory of the sport, if you're not asking and you're not thinking creatively, you're going to get left behind. And I look at the generation coming in and they're not afraid to ask. And so I'm like, Gals that are in now, guys, we got <laughs> we got to put our hand out. We have a question. We have thoughts. We have ideas, and 
I kind of love it because I think it's making people think a little bit deeper than like, okay, yeah, I'm a good runner, but there's a lot of good runners. What can you offer? What can you bring? Who are you away from it? Because brands want runners, but they also want personalities. And once I kind of found my self-worth and fell in love with who I am, it's really easy to speak about it and to sell to someone and say to someone, this is what I can do for you. And this is why we're going to make a great team. So I've had this conversation with a lot of people who are like great creators and people who are personalities on social media. I've not had as many conversations in this light around people who are just like really, really good athletes. I'm curious the, I don't know if dichotomy is the right word or balance between you really like training and you know how to do the influence Mm. aspect of the sport. How do you find balance or how do you find, um, how do you find that? I'm so glad you didn't use the word dichotomy because I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> I was like, balance, okay. <laughs> Similar word. <laughs> the, like the dif- differing aspects of it. Yeah, I think, you know, it took, I lent heavily on that kind of like content and doing other stuff when my racing wasn't going well. And what I realized is that there should always be this really beautiful balance between those two things so that you're a holistic and well-rounded person. I think it's great. You know, you're going to have years where you're going to win and you're going to do well. And there's going to be years where you're not going to have that same trajectory and someone else will. But to have that value is to keep evolving and growing and learning and watching the industry and watching other industries and taking what you can from it. I think, you know, I... I've been reading a lot and like listening to a lot of people talk about how athletes are becoming influencers and how they people don't want to associate with that. Well, I'm sorry, <laughs> but you are. You know, this is you're part of the machine. You're a mannequin wearing a brand to push that upon. Other people want to look like you, feel like you, run like you. And I think that's really hard for people to wrap their heads around, but influencing isn't a bad thing. You know, I've got had amazing amazing influences in my life. And they're not because they're pushing me to buy shoes, but they're influencing me in the way that I environmentally think about things or that I go about my my values and my ethics. And so I think that shifting that from a, a negative connotation to a positive makes you really just sink into the fact like this is a game on social media and sponsorship is a game and it's fleeting. And so rinse it for what it's worth. Like have a ball with it, throw out ideas, come up with concepts. Some will land, some won't. Um, But you know, like if you fall in love with the process of that and you fall in love with the process of your training and showing up to races, you can't lose. Yeah, the way I see it is like, it's a way to share good stuff. And again, when you think outside the box, you can come up with fun ways to do it. That, like, I, I love pursuing non-running brands for running-related sponsorships. So, like the solar company that I worked with, Freedom Solar, they sponsored the podcast for nine months, and they saw more than ten times a return on what they invested in terms of what came back to them. And to me, that's like okay. Well, from a business standpoint like a 10x return on ad spend is phenomenal. But if you think about what that did, a bunch of people put solar on their roofs. Mm. And to me, I find that like a fun game of how do we 
get people to do things that are good for the world or good. Like that's why I'm pursuing these um, electric car partnerships. And, you know, to me, it's like, we don't have to, I mean, we both have worked with shoe brands and yours is quite different than, than mine, but um, that's like a staple and, and like you need shoes to run, but there are a lot of other things. And I've had this conversation with athletes who are like, yeah, I have a head to toe contract. What am I supposed to do? And it's like, well, look what's in your room and, what you like and what's in your house and reach out about promoting those things. The one that I wish I could land is uh, an applesauce brand. <laughs> yeah, you right? need I that. So much applesauce. <laughs> but the first time I posted about eating applesauce pre-run, like six Olympians replied and they're like, yeah, I do that too. And so I'm like, yeah. what? <laughs> Who's inf- out there influencing yeah. for applesauce? I need if you're if you work for Mott's. Actually, Mott's is not a good example because it's loaded with fake sugars. Um, Kirkland, <laughs> Kirkland, where are you at? <laughs> Hit us up. <laughs> um, I want to jump back to a conversation we were having before and center it around your 20 hours into an ultra. I asked about how your why has evolved and how your relationship with running has evolved. My understanding is that when you're deep in these ultras, you have to you have to really know why you're doing it. And I started this podcast because of a conversation with Zach Miller about like, what the hell are you doing and how are you doing this? Mm-hmm. And he talked for 10 minutes and I was like, oh my God, this is so fascinating. I need to record these conversations. And so this podcast exists for like the question that I'm getting to here, which is like, you're deep in an ultra. How do you keep going? And the reason that I'm so fascinated by this question and how people think about this type of thing is because I think the way you answered this is like the barometer of how far you can go outside of running. And the ability to triage and like push through in that moment is like extrapolated elsewhere. So very long lead up to this question of like, you're 20 hours into UTMB, for example, you've, you know, almost 10 more hours ahead. How are you, how are you doing that? How do you do that? Oh man. You get off the bike in Kona and you've got a marathon. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's a great question. I feel like I come out of these experiences and I wonder how I did do that. (laughs) Um, Because, you know, it's, it feels like the odds are stacked against you and that the length to go is unfathomable, you know? Um, and I think that being optimistic is always going to be your best friend, you know, being very realistic, but optimistic is really important. And I think, you know, I look back at UTMB and at about the 20 hour mark, um, you know, I had a flare up in my shin ankle that really made me question like, why am I doing this? And is it worth the price to pay to get to that finish line? And, you know, it wasn't an easy answer to come to. It wasn't a straight away, but it was just kind of a, I put in a lot of effort to get to that point. And it's such a privilege to get to that, take your body and your mind, and especially being a place like the UTMB mountains where, you know, you're on your own kid. It's kind of yeah. like, what am I going to do? How much do I want this? Is it worth the price? Am I willing to pay it? You know? And the thing is, is you can't practice that. You don't get that in training. Those kind of, you know, enlightening questions don't come to you until you're in the depth of it. Um, And the other thing is, is that your body and your mind won't let you do that that many times unless you're, you know, you got to respect that process that well that you dig into. 
it's not ever ending. You've got to fill it back in and start again. And so I think, you know, my why is always driven by curiosity, driven by kind of what's around this next bend, what's out of this tough patch? What will, you know, if I can get through this, what else can I get through? Um, And it's really incredible how much you realize your potential is untapped when you come out the other side of this and you you realize I made the right decision and I did something that I didn't think I could do. UTMB for me is an, was an unfathomable race. You know, I did it over three days and I was like, there is no way that I stitched this together without a sleep and a pizza in Italy. Um, but I, you know, I made it through that hurdle and ultra running is just problem solving with buffets along the way. You know, it's really... There's going to be so much shit thrown at you. And the thing that you think is going to get thrown at you isn't thrown at you and you'll have something completely different. But it is just like a game. It's just super fun to see how am I going to overcome this? What's the next step? What can I do to help myself? All I've ever got is my effort and my attitude. So I got to focus on those two things. The effort to put in, to slow down, to eat something, to ask for help to get medically assisted? And then my attitude, am I angry and frustrated that it's not going the way I want? Or am I grateful and optimistic that it can change? And I think that those are those two things that I'm always like, they're everyone's superpower. And when you're why and when it gets dark and it gets hard and you get deep into something, just focus on those two things. Everything else can fade away. If you've been enjoying this podcast and can spare 90 seconds of your time today, Can you do me a favor? Can you pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review? It helps other people find and enjoy the podcast too. Thanks so much. While many of us are taking time to rest and reset this month amongst holiday celebrations and end of year work shenanigans, 2024 is fast approaching. It's the perfect time to think about and plan your running goals for the new year. That's where Microcosm Coaching comes in. Started by our past guests and good friends, TJ and Zoe, Microcosm puts intentionality and thought into every aspect of the coaching experience. They believe in inspiring athletes to reach for more, find their community, and continue their running through the ups and downs that life throws at them. So if you're looking for a coaching experience that accounts for the breakthroughs, setbacks, and everything in between, Microcosm is it. They can help build a personalized plan to balance life and training. If you're ready to get started, go on over to microcosm-coaching.com and let them know that the team at For The Long Run sent you. Need something to help you stay on track for your goals in 2024? Do you know a runner who loves staying organized and using a physical notebook to help keep track of life? We highly recommend using the Race and Grayson Training Log and Planner, now in its sixth edition. With monthly mental health journal prompts, monthly and yearly trackers, monthly and yearly habit tracking, daily space for noting training and life, this planner helps you chase your athletic and non-athletic dreams. And this year, it comes with an airplane arms bookmark to keep your place in the planner. And you know how I feel about airplane arms. If you did an airplane arms, the run wasn't very fun, now was it? If you want to check it out, head on over to racing-grayson.com and shop the training log. We can't wait to see what you can accomplish in 2024. Effort, attitude, and curiosity. So I love that. I found that, okay, so this is like episode almost 300. I've found that the athletes who believe the most in themselves and believe that they can accomplish their dreams, whatever those are, have this really healthy relationship with curiosity. And they don't necessarily know what the dream is, 
they just know that they want to like get after something awesome. And so I did this like triaging of my my first ultra with with TJ. That episode came out a few weeks ago as of when this one will be released. Um, and he he kept picking out on the curiosity aspect. And so um, <laughs> I recorded a bunch of video during the race, as you know, and I sent it to him to to listen to prior to us recording. And it was like an experience I'd never had before. I've never had a race go this well with the exception of a 5K, which took less than 18 minutes. So like, <laughs> anyway, um, and like hour one, I was like, okay, no expectations here. Just run down this road. Hour two, wow, these views are great. Hour three, hmm, this still feels good. Four hours in, uh, what's happening here? <laughs> why does it still feel this good? And why do I keep passing people? What's going to happen? And between hour four and five, I I gave myself the permission to be curious about what if it is a good day? What if this is how I finish? What if it really becomes a unicorn day and everything goes as planned? Now, then the cows showed up and that, that <laughs> threw it off from being a unicorn day. And, and, um, and it like, yeah, it did get a little hard at the end, but that was, it was mostly a physical fatigue and the, the mental fatigue wasn't really there, which was so fascinating. And I kept waiting for like the other shoe to drop. I kept waiting for something to happen that, that like, cause I'm like, yep, been there before. And TJ was like, you gave, you were like curious, like what could happen if the shoe doesn't drop? And it is like a dream day. And I think in years past, I, I would have like worked myself into a problem because that's the only way I know. And that led to like, imposter syndrome is something that that I've talked about a lot on this podcast. Like I'm the guy with the ultra running podcast who had never finished an ultra. <laughs> And so I was like, what if I squash that? <laughs> that needs to be addressed separately. <laughs> that's a whole nother podcast. That's a whole nother podcast. But it was like, it went from, oh my God, when to, well, what if? And I don't know how I, I did that. I don't know how that shift happened. But I find that the what if versus the alternative is so powerful. So for you, how do you lean into that curiosity? How do you how do you intentionally practice curiosity so that the your attitude is centered around, well, what if? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting one. And I think it's you're constantly told a narrative. And I'm sure this is what, you know, you have spoken to so many amazing athletes and ultra runners and people that have pursued efforts and journeys which have tested them in many ways. And so you have constantly been told the narrative of like, most of the time shit hits the fan. You know, this is just the inevitable. I've been out there for this long, ultra running, the longer the time, the more things that can go wrong. And it, when you were telling me, just speaking then, I was thinking of when I ran my first 50K with my dad and he'd spoken about this wall, this metaphorical wall that you hit at about... 20 miles, 30, 30 kilometers into a marathon. It's kind of like everyone gets to about the 20 mile mark, run out of glycogen, gets, gets really tough. And I didn't have a watch at the time. And he just ran next to me 
kind of just waiting for me to hit this wall. He was just like, well, you know, it's getting to that three-hour mark and we're getting up to 20 miles. She's about to hit it. And he was like, you just ran right through it because you had no idea what distance you were at and your time. And you were so focused on the fact that you were running your first 50K, 30-mile, and was just so in that moment and oblivious, like I call it blissfully unaware, is the best way to be. Because sometimes when you get told that story, if I'd had a watch and I looked and I saw 20 miles, I would have gone, oh yeah, oh my God, I feel it. I totally feel it. There's a wall, you know? And it's because that's the narrative we're told. What I don't think people give themselves permission to do is to be the author of a completely new narrative you can write your story. And your story at Crested Butte was that it was a great day, that that nothing really went wrong, you know? Except the cows. Except the cows. Okay, well, the cows were not in your control. Everything within your control, you did so well. You know, you obviously tapered well, you trained well, you ate well, all those things. And so the narrative of your first ultra is so positive And people will be like, well, you know, just wait for the next one. And it's kind of like, well, you know, keep that pen out and you write your own story. And I feel like if you look at it from that perspective of like, I'm going to listen to people, I'm going to take their advice, I'm going to prepare for the worst, but plan for the best. And I'm going to put myself in a position because I believe that I've done the work to have a story and to write this narrative that's different to what what is out there. And to, yeah, just allow myself to be curious and to write the story as it comes. And again, like it comes back to, you can write your effort and your attitude out. And those are the things you can control. And that's what you did so well out there is that, yes, you were feeling good, but it didn't mean that you spent all your cookies really early. You're smart enough and you're trained well enough and you're wise enough and had that perspective long-term to play the long game. And that paid off. And you know, that is just as heroic as someone that overcame 50 million things going wrong. Um, and so I think putting yourself in that narrative role and re- realizing that you're not reading someone else's story of an ultra, you're writing your own, is a very good way to kind of visually put yourself into that curious mindset. So how is Lucy, what is the story Lucy is writing for the rest of the year? Oh man, I mean, you know, next week I fly, or this week I fly out to do an Ironman. And for me, that's just kind of such a curiosity thing because there's so much unknown. I've done one and it went really well. It was a great day like you. And I'm kind of like, I really really would just like to repeat that story. Like, can I just write that out again? But I'm fully aware that the best stories are never told twice, you know? And I think it's such a cool opportunity to overcome problems that I know that I'll have but to lean on the belief that I have, the people around me and that the training I've done, the work that's in the muscles, the blood that's in the heart, you know, like I know that I've done what I could with what I had and where I was. Um, And then it's just kind of like, what do I want to achieve moving forward? You know, what's next? And I have an open mind. I have ideas. I'm not setting concrete. I'm writing in pencil, if I want to put it like that. But all I know that in like, I'm leaning with, you know, my three words for my races this year have been calm, confident, and curious. And it's just like, you lead with those three C's and you can't lose. You ran UTMB, not CCC though. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I like that. That would have been so perfect. (laughs) Um, Can we talk about where you want to be in June of 2024? 
Yeah, we can. Where I would like to, if I was to write the ultimate story at the moment, the fairy tale, it would be on the starline of Western States for my fourth attempt, uh, hopefully my third finish, um, and also with my dad by my side. So fingers crossed that that's where I'll be back in the U.S. <laughs> what is it about that race that you love so much? Oh, it's been such a journey at Western States. You know, when I first went there, I was 22. I was a young blonde Aussie that no one thought much of. I led the race for 100 kilometers. I got passed by Courtney, the Walter, and Caitlin Gerben, finished in third place. Um, you know, an article was written about me saying that I was like a golden retriever out there, brought home for the first time, just like a puppy. I was so just like wide-eyed and so excited by the whole thing. And then Courtney was like the old dog that just, got through it and did it perfectly. Um, you know, and then, so it was a race that kind of made me. And then 2019 was the race that broke me. You know, I stood on the start line, didn't really want to be there, knew that the story was going to be different and worse, like just harder. Um, had the weight of expectations. It felt like the weight of the world. I uh, was given the opportunity to return again um, after lockdown in 2022 fell, had a concussion. My race was over before it began. And I felt like I really struggled to get back out of that and realize that we can train for so many years, months, days for something and a one wrong footstep can end it. And it was just really kind of humbling and really brought me back down to earth of like, you know, you're training for something that you just don't know how it's going to go. Um, and I think about it all the time now when I'm running. I'm just like, man, you know, I made it out of that run okay. And But you're one step away from things unraveling. Um, and then obviously, like you say, I went back this year. My dad ran. He'd been trying to get in for 10 years. Um, and he finally got the opportunity and missed the cutoff by two minutes. And I think at the time this podcast goes out, there'll be a film out about it from Solomon called Lucy's Dad. And, um, you know, that was just... I really wanted to return to Western States with my dad and have this just beautiful experience, kind of tie up a, a race that's just been my obsession and my everything. Um, it was what got me through COVID, was training for it. Uh, it made me, it broke me, and then it nearly cracked my head open. <laughs> it literally broke you. Yeah, and then it pretty much broke my dad. And I'm like, <laughs> we got to go back. And I was like, you know, yeah, it's just, I know it's in me that that fire isn't hasn't been... Uh, attended to. So I need to chase it more. So a lot of people seem to have this relationship with Western States and it's like, it's like you can taste it and you just never finish that bite. I've talked at length with Hayden about this. I've talked at length with Matt Daniels about this, finishing in, in um, second and fourth respectively. And there's just something about it. What What is it? Oh, I mean, you know, I came for the, you know, the um, Unbreakable. Is that the movie? Yeah. You know, I'd seen that and I wanted to be a part of it. And it was a, you know, once in a lifetime bucket list race. But like you say, you get a sniff of that community, that course. The It's a small race field. It's a privilege to be there, whether you're a crew, volunteer, athlete, in any what sense just being there there's just this thing of this feeling of this is the good old days of running western states brings back the sport to its roots of just get from olympic valley to auburn as fast as you can um and yeah i just i can't scratch that itch enough it's killing me um you know i kind of thought that 
I was done with it. But every year around, you know, putting my name in the lottery, golden tickets, I'm like, I'd want back. Um, and I, yeah, I'm excited to go through the golden ticket process this year and see how badly I want it, along with so many more people who also want it. So it's it's pretty cool, I think, just the privilege of it. So you do a lot of training with people you compete with. What is What is that like? I think one of my biggest assets is that things like Strava and also training with people doesn't rattle me. I'm very competent to kind of say, oh, this is your easy today. That's awesome. See ya. (laughs) You know, I'm backing off. Um, And I think that that's something that people fall into the trap of comparison and keeping up and that easy run becomes a bit more of a tempo run. Um, but I'm, I've really dialed in my intuition and my internal compass and I know what feels too much and I don't need to look at a heart rate monitor to know what is good and what doesn't feel good and how an easy run should feel. And so it's a really beautiful thing because, you know, sometimes my easy is someone else's hard and to kind of just like allow them that space to be like, Let's just, you know, you do you, I'll do me. I'll see you at the finish. It's at the end of the run. We'll go get coffee and we'll hang out and eat cake. Like, it's okay. The day, you know, this isn't, this doesn't define us. Um, and just that honesty, you know, it's, it takes a lot to put your hand up and go, hey, I can't hang today. But the connection it builds because it's built on trust and honesty is, you know, that's a real friendship because no matter what, either one of us will be there at the end of the run to wait for one another and, uh, celebrate what was a good training day, however it looked. So you spent a lot of time in Boulder, a lot of that with- In your house. (laughs) In in my house or behind Amanda's calves. (laughs) Um, For those who want like the quintessential Boulder run, what have been some of your favorite trails? Oh my goodness. Wow. Or the Lucy Loop. I was going to say, I can't go past the Lucy Loop at this point. It starts and finishes at Jonathan's. Um, I mean, one of my favorite loops that I've always done is the High Lonesome Loop. It's out of Ned, but it's, um, I mean, it's just insane. If you can get up there with good weather, it's incredible. High altitude, you'll feel like shit, but you'll forget that because you're looking at these amazing views. Stunning, yeah. Stunning. Um, but what I love about like, you know, where you live is you run these bike paths so you can kind of like warm up really nicely and then you can get to those trails of, doesn't have to be the high stuff, just the Mesa Trail um, from Chautauqua. I just love all of that. And then I love finishing back on the bike path um, just because you can feel fast. And I think it's always nice to finish feeling flowy and just kind of really, you know, if you have a little gas to give, you can push it on that pretty safely. But it's been cool because this is my first time being in Boulder and training for an Ironman. So I've been hitting more bike paths and roads, doing cycling as well, um, and touring the pools of Boulder. (laughs) You've seen a few. I've seen a few. I can give a pretty good recommendation now. Uh, But I also feel like I saw a completely different side. I know that there's lots of road runners here and triathletes, but I was always Green Mountain, Bear Peak, you know, Walker's Ranch. I was just That's because you were with Bailey. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So I was doing the Bailey and Johnny and Amanda kind of like their go-tos. But it's been fun to kind of have a little bit of they don't want to run on road with me. So I've had to sit on Strava and plot my own things. And 
I realized that there's more to a town than just the trails around it. And the camaraderie on the bike paths and roads is some of the most incredible um, smiles and waves and connection that you can feel. And park run. And park run. I, it's in America. <laughs> um, you said something to me or to Kate and I yesterday about the takeaway from Ironman training and, and how you'd like to carry it into trail running. Maybe you don't want to show your cards, but... Um, oh, I can show my full deck, man. <laughs> <laughs> talk about talk about what you shared yesterday about the volume component and cross-training and what, what you learned about you and your process. Yeah, so I really, you know, after doing Kona, you know, hopefully when this goes out, I've done it. <laughs> You're not still doing it. <laughs> not not still out there. <laughs> Somebody save her already. Put her out of her misery. It's like four weeks. I mean, she's hanging out on the island. She's doing all right. <laughs> um, she missed the flight to LA. Yeah, I missed. Well, I didn't get to my dog. That's for sure. Um, you know what? I really realized in the training for triathlon. I don't need to race triathlon, and I don't really have any intention to do another Ironman after this. Um, this was kind of like a season and a bit of a fun thing. But the biggest takeaway, and I feel like the reason this came into my life and what I will really take and hold on to from this experience is that the training is, yes, the hours are more, but it feels healthier for my my body um, to share the load and use cycling as a tool to train for running. And I think... Um, I think swimming is so beautiful for its mindfulness. And I was saying the other night, the biggest thing I've taken away from swimming is matching my breath to my movement. Um, You kind of have to do that in swimming. Otherwise, it's not going to be fun. Um, But I've taken that to kind of onto land and done it with my running. And then cycling is just, you get the cardio, you get the strength, you get the views, you get to go far, you get the hours, but you don't have the impact. And I just think longevity-wise and health-wise and also just learning a new skill-wise, developmental, is it's such a cool thing to put into your training. And if it means taking a few kilometers off your run Strava graph, I mean, pay that price. It's worth it. You've talked a bit about longevity. Um, It's all the buzz on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it to talk about it. Uh, it's also gaining popularity in the the running world to talk about how to do how to do it for longer. And my day job is all about healthier longer. What does longevity mean to Lucy? Oh, longevity is just doing what you love for as long as you can. And I think what I realized is the way to do that is to take the lid off that box you've put yourself in because that is going to get stale and moldy quick. You know. You have a a human body that can do so many skills. It can learn. It can move in so many different ways. It can kick a ball. It can throw. It can run. It can bike. It can swim, go land, go ocean. And I feel like longevity comes from pivoting. Change is as good as a holiday for the body, for the mind. And I kind of feel like that was the key that I was missing. I was ultra runner. 100Ks at 15 means that you should just be running 100Ks all your life. 100 miles, 200 miles is definitely on the cards for you. And just kind of like this progression of more is more. And what I realized is instead of like, you don't have to be like moving in a linear way. You can be pivoting and going out left and right um, and doing things that just shake up yeah, the monotony, because it's really easy these days to fall into comfort and routine and 
you know, it can be even just going for an afternoon run. Like my best friend who lives in uh, Boulder, Bailey, not a huge fan of afternoon evening runs, but, you know, getting out there and seeing a sunrise or a sunset or just seeing a different part of the day, you see different people, you see different interactions. And, you know, that just adds to the curiosity because you're kind of like, oh, I wonder if I go this way. And that is just so refreshing and enables longevity because it's not moldy. It's not mundane. It's not monotonous. It's it's unique and it's exciting and it's, yeah, you know, curious evoking. You know, you just want to see, I wonder what this route looks like backwards. You know, I did my loop the other way the other day. And I was like, this is a totally different experience. <laughs> Yeah, the King Super's aid station comes at the beginning instead yeah, of the end. Yeah, it was far too early. <laughs> um, yeah, like today, I didn't know how I was going to get through 10 miles. And then I went and spectated a marathon. Yeah. And it was just like, boom, it's over. Well, I think your approach to training, from what I've seen, <laughs> is incredible. I mean, if you're going to throw in paella stops and burger stops and like, you know, put that like zest and fun into it, is, you know, you're still getting the training done. You're still getting the adapt- ad- adaptation, but it doesn't have to be as serious and to the point and like as grindy as I think people expect and do. I think that that's something to I learn. I think seasonally it can be that way. If I were training for a marathon in like four weeks, mm. I probably wouldn't be doing what, <laughs> what I did this weekend. Yeah, and I think, but I think that, you know, like I say, the seasons are so important. Right. And you'll look forward to that routine more because you haven't had it now. If you do that routine 365 days, seven days a week, you know, whatever, that is going to get real old real quick. And I feel like this is why, you know, training towards UTMB, it got grindy in the mountains for before it. Then I raced it, come out of it, and now I've been swim, bike, and running. It's been different. I've seen different things. And that's fun, but I'm also like, after Kona, I'm going to put the bike in the garage. I'm going to cancel that swim membership. And I want to just do what, like, you know, what really sets my heart on fire, which, you know, I'm so pleased to come out of both of those races and say is chase that golden ticket and become that runner that I, and chase that potential when I put my mind to it. I love that. Back to the longevity piece one one last time. Um, is seeing your dad an inspiration in that regard? Oh, hell yeah. How so? Well, I mean, talk about pivoting. Like the guy was, you know, he ran marathons. It was kind of his way of exploring the world and seeing it. He then, you know, he did the three-hour marathon and that was his ultimate goal. You know, he got down to a 257. He ran in a little crop top, tiny shorts back, <laughs> back in the day. Very embarrassing photo, but very cute. We'll make it the, the thumbnail for this. <laughs> I've got it. Don't worry. <laughs> Um, I just can imagine Eric, our video guy, just throwing it on the on the video in this moment. <laughs> wow, it's Eric, definitely worth it. Definitely worth it. This will definitely get the most views uh, and listens if that's the case. <laughs> but, you know, and then he started to get slower as he was getting older. And, you know, there was a second there where it started to make him pretty sad and he got a bit down about it. And then he was like, I want to do something I've never done before. And when he signed up for his first 100 kilometers... I remember my like superhero dad visibly sweating, reading that he had to carry thermals, he had to carry a snake bandage, you know, everything in Australia wants to kill you and he has to be out there at night. And he was just so nervous. And then he did something he'd never done before. And when he ran that 100 kilometers, he was just like, 
it was like a whole new man was born. You know, suddenly it was kind of like, okay, this is what I got to practice. This is what I got to do. This is a whole, you know, people say running's running. Running is not running. There's track running, there's road running, there's ultra running. We were talking about this the other day. Um, and just kind of how, how the cool thing is that running can take so many different shapes. You can run around in circles. You can run an, a lap of something every hour on the hour for a backyard ultra. Um, you can circumnavigate geological features, but it's just like he pivoted and now he has this resurgence of life into him. And then, I mean, who he became when he got that entry into Western States, I felt like he dropped 40 years off his age as he trained. Um, I mean, after the race, it looks like he, he put on back, about six yeah. years. <laughs> In the last 10 miles. <laughs> yeah, I think everyone aged real quick on that. But, you know, it's just like, it's so cool to see someone just like, he just honors the living. energy and living through it, yeah. you know, and not defined by it. Like the dude still goes to park run, loves to run. You know, he used to be all about trying to run 20 minute 5K. And now he's like, you know, 25, super happy to do it with the dog. I was, the Chicago Marathon was this morning and... um in one of the moments where they were showing um, personal interest stories instead of the race, it was uh, a 75-year-old who has done the race for, I don't know, 30 years or something like that. And he was like, yeah, well, my times are a lot slower than they've ever been, but I'm still winning my age group and stacking up well against the 75-year-olds. And I think to have that perspective of like, well, you're, you're not 30 anymore. You're not 20 anymore but like establish what your goals are in that season, whether it's age-related or work got super busy or whatever. Um, I think to be able to center a focus around what's what's realistic in the moment and going forward is like incredibly powerful. I think one of the most uh, incredible experiences that I've had was sweeping, so bringing up the end of a race um, at the Ultra Trail Australia 100K. So I raced the race. And then I went back out and I swept the last 20 Ks. And I was with this old man in a flannel shirt (laughs) who was just vibing being out there. And I was, he was, I think he was 78 years old. Um, This was his third 100 K. He was like, he's like, this is by far the slowest. (laughs) And his just contentment with the fact that he was out there and I mean, most of his peers are, are well, sitting on a couch. This is what he said. He's like, my friends couldn't do this shit. And I was like... <laughs> my friends could barely do <laughs> And I was... I Yeah, I know. And totally. And I think this is like the important thing is that, you know, some people are comparing apples and oranges, man. Like, it's just so... Or apples and, pota- and, ap- and tables. Yeah, totally. Yeah, not even the same. <laughs> yeah, not even the same. Not a food. Um, and so it was just, it was so cool to see someone be like, yeah, you know, like pretty rough year. You know, he'd had a lot of family stuff happen. He's at that age where he's had a few losses and he, in terms of his friends and stuff. But he was just like, ah, oh, you know, I've been looking forward to this all year since the last year. And I was like, that's how that's I so want to cool. be. Yeah. You know, I want to be finishing things and being like, can't wait to do that again. And just unlimited um, stoke for it. Like he was 20 something hours in and he was just living for the night out. <laughs> I was like, you should be in bed, man. Goals. goals. <laughs> so this is a, like a stoke and like a level of, 
maturity or or whatnot that like is very rare in an athlete. And again, we talked about like you're nailing some of it and some of it is who knows what's going on. Um, Chaos. Chaos. Yeah. I didn't want to say it. But (laughs) um, what do you think like 15-year-old and 22-year-old Lucy would think of what's going on today? And what would you say to those versions of yourself? Yeah. I mean, 15-year-old Lucy had didn't know that this was a thing. And I think that this is super important is that like, I didn't come in as a 15-year-old being like, I want to be a professional trail and ultra runner. I didn't even know that that was a profession. I wasn't doing it to become something. I just wanted to do it to be with my dad. Um, and so I think she would be like, huh, dang, like this is a thing now? <laughs> like, you know, I know you liked it, but I didn't know that it was going to become your everything. Like it's going to be, take you around the world, bring you to these cool places and races. And then I think 22-year-old Lucy, you know, when, you know, that's when there was the breakout, but then there was kind of like the the downfall, would be like, holy shit, you held on. Because I think that that was, you know, it was a fork in the road at that point. It was kind of like, if you want to continue, you're going to have to like do some work. And I don't mean like get out and train. I mean, sit down and think about things and talk to people and work through the barriers and the hurdles that are within you. And, you know, and I was definitely at some points being like, I just want a job where I go to a desk and I sit down and I eat lunch at 12 and dinner at six and I go out with my friends and have that kind of season of partying that I missed. But, you know, I am so, so stoked that I am where I am and I am who I am because of what I have done. Um, and I've gotten to this point where I can sit in this chair in Boulder in Jonathan Levitt's house. <laughs> and, you know, I'm not, I, I'm wise in terms of I've had so many experiences because I live life super hard and that's like to my detriment and to my benefit. But it's just kind of understanding that I've had a lot of lived experiences. They're my experiences and I can bring away like super holistic quotes from it. But sometimes you got to learn the hard way. Um, And I feel like I've done that enough times now where I can sit here and pretty proudly say like, I'll be proud of whoever I become in the next few years and however it pans out because, you know, I held on and that's all you got to do. I love it. We could go for hours, but I think that's a good place (laughs) to wrap. Lucy, for those who don't follow you, where can we find you on your corner of the internet? Yeah, the best place is just uh, on Instagram. It's probably the most up-to-date. Facebook's just a copy of it. I don't use it. I don't log in. Um, and You're not then, tweeting? I'm not a tweeter, no, but I do see Jonathan's <laughs> threads, so I'm, <laughs> I am on that. Um, and then, you know, a lot of people are interested in trading, and that's, you know, Strava, everything goes up, nothing's hidden. Um, it's all there to see the chaos really unfold. And the one thing we didn't talk about is that you are coaching... Uh, some younger runners as well. Yeah, it was just kind of like a COVID thing. Um, it's not, you know, it's not like a big thing for me, but it's just if young females need some guidance, I would to be there and to be able to maybe rotate them away from some of the issues I've fallen into. Man, I'm happy to happy to have a conversation. Happy to push them in the right direction or help them in the right, guide them to the right direction. Don't push. Um, Yeah, it's kind of like a big passion of mine is I want people's relationship with sport, especially young females and running and their selves and their body 
to be led with curiosity and gratitude because they can, yeah. Curiosity and gratitude. Mm. Amazing. Thank you so much. This has been a blast. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for that bed as well. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next time on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too. This podcast and the accompanying music has been produced by Brian Walters of Single Track Sound. For the Long Run's logo is created by Vanessa Wolf of Sterling Wolf. Show notes have been written by Ruby Wiles and is managed by Emily Holland. It takes a village. 